Good evening, everybody. This is Steve Horney, my man Carl coming from Ryland. How you doing, Carl? Pretty good. How about yourself? I am fantastic. We are ready to bring to you part two of squat, everything you need to know. So we're going to start with a nice, quick overview of what we covered last time, and then we're going to build on it. It's going to be a lot more interactive. We're going to have a lot better cues, technique, advanced cueing, really going to after we're done with this one, if you watch the first one, you watch this one, you're going to know everything you need to know about what's current about the squat. So let's get right into it. So this is why we're here. And we really want you to walk out with understanding the pre-tests, meaning the tests that tell you whether you have the prerequisite range of motion, meaning ability to move, and strength, meaning the ability to produce force. The next thing is proper technique. So technique and cueing are just a little bit different. The technique is what it should look like. The cues are what help you build towards that. Cueing is an art unto itself. And if you're a coach, or even if you're someone that's worked out with a coach, you've probably been in situations where you realized that something wasn't moving exactly how you wanted to, or you saw something that wasn't moving exactly how you wanted to, and you wanted to say something or do something to help them move out of that movement pattern. And really, they're very personal, but you need to have a big toolbox when it comes to cues. So we're gonna give you the best cues that we've come up with because we're a bit of cue junkies ourselves. This is me, Steve Horney, 14 years of experience. This is Carl, better looking, phenomenal, moving on. The genesis of this course really is that we've made a transition in our practice, particularly myself, from doing a lot of manual therapy to more of a movement science role. And the reason that we do it is because it works. Manual therapy is really good at making people feel better, but that doesn't always carry over. And for someone to really be better, meaning graduate, get out the door, I won't see you again, you really have to load up that area of the body that you've been working on to make sure that it's strong and then raise the tide up for all of the muscle groups, which is something that's called general physical preparedness. So the squat is a great portion of what's called general physical preparedness, which in our model embodies itself in the eight foundations of exercise. So as you can see, we have health at the bottom, we have movement on top of that, exercise and then performance. To think of these very simply, health is optimization of your systems. Getting the 12 systems in your body, your cardiopulmonary system, your integumentary, your immune system, everything working, digestion, all working together. Movement is an assessment of isolated range of motion and strength. Again, range of motion is the ability to move, strength, is the ability to produce force. And then exercise is an application of integrated strength and range of motion, meaning that there's more than just one joint going at a time. A squat has your hips, your knees, and your ankles all moving together. Whereas in our assessment for the foundations of movement, we're more looking at it at one joint, one joint, one joint, one joint. On top of that is performance. That's getting you ready for the field. Make sure your energy systems are up to speed, your lower extremity power, your upper extremity power, the ability to produce that force 
that we show during those exercises quickly. That's the difference between power and strength. So as you can see here, your health is your hydration, diet, sleep, stress, exercise, ergonomics, breathing and connection, your movement are all of those assessments that we talk about. We're gonna cover a few of them here. And then your eight foundations of exercise is your pillar prep. Number one, being able to lock down, switch on this area from your shoulders all the way down to your hips and everything in between. Then your squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, locomotion, and rotation. So we already covered what these are, but just to give you a word on what we're talking about, the pillar prep is getting the muscles to the hips switched on. Your squat is full, and these are at their most boiled down. We're not trying to get in the weeds about arguing the nuances of these, but at its quickest and dirtiest form, a squat is full hip flexion, meaning your knees coming up towards your chest, and full knee flexion, meaning your butt and your heel coming close together. A hinge is full hip flexion, and think of that more as like a bow than a bend, and only much as much knee flexion as is necessary. A lunge, to make it super simple, and you can say the same thing about a split squat, is when your right leg is doing something and your left leg is doing something different. Push, simple, that's upper body push, that is horizontal, the way I'm doing a push-up, and that is vertical, the way that I'm doing a military press. Pull, same rules apply. Horizontal would be a row, and a vertical would be a pull down. And then locomotion is moving from point A to point B, and rotation is anything that's happening in that transverse plane. So that's really called that rotational plane. And to break out the little bit of a difference between the pillar prep which is more usually getting those muscles of the obliques or the trunk rotators to work against a force to stabilize the spine. This part of the foundations of exercise, the rotation, is when we're actually looking to get some power out of them. And again, power is the ability to produce force or work quickly. So what is a squat? It is the most fundamental movement pattern. Uh, you see babies, they come from the ground up. That first thing that they do before they stand is a squat from the ground coming up. It's primarily hip dominant, though a lot of people would like to say that it's knee dominant. It's actually a nice mix of both of them. But when people have it in their mind that a squat is more of a knee dominant than it is hip dominant, they're missing a whole part of the equation and they may not be getting the appropriate strength and power out of the glutes that they could. And they're certainly lining themselves up to have more trouble in their knees down the road. In general, you wanna see that butt shoot back with an appropriate hip hinge as your knees are drifting forward. Think about it as the beginning to that athletic position. If I told you, I'm gonna come over to you and push you as hard as I can, you immediately drop down into a squat, into that nice, stable, athletic position. And as we all know and covered last week, there's a lot of different variations. There's your back squat, your front squat, your goblet squat, your zersher squat, your split squat, 
your single leg squat, your pistol squat. I feel like Bubba Gump now talking about all the different shrimps that there are, but there really is no lack of variability when it comes to the squat, but they tend to observe the same rules that we're gonna talk about. So learn these techniques, learn these cues, make sure you have the available foundational movement that you need that we're gonna take you through in these tests and you can apply it to any kind of squat. So really what are we looking for? We wanna make sure that with the tests that we're about to show you again, that you have the appropriate amount of ankle dorsiflexion. And that means that you can bend your ankle or bring your toes towards the front of your shin bone, the appropriate knee flexion, the appropriate hip flexion and extension, thoracic or middle back trunk extension, and specifically for a back squat shoulder external rotation. For the strength, you're gonna need to have the ability to produce force in your ankle plantar flexors, those are the same muscles that push gas pedals for you. Knee extensors, those are the same muscles that kick balls for you. Hip extensors, those, those are the same things that drive you forward in a squat. That's your hips. Hip extensors, meaning your glute max and your hamstrings, and then your trunk stabilizers. If you're not able to be stable through here, you're going to leak power and strength out through your core. In general, if you want to talk about your core or your pillar, a great example of how it's functionally used is that it is a force transducer from your lower extremities to your upper extremities. When you think about a pitcher, they are driving that force through their hips that is getting transferred to the upper arm. And if that is not stable, two things are going to happen. Usually at the same time, you're going to get injured, meaning you're going to have overuse injuries in your upper body. And also, you're going to end up with injuries. That's where a lot of lower back injuries end up occurring. You don't have the ability to stabilize through the trunk for various reasons. Now, we're going to take you quickly through these assessments. While I'm just prepping you for this, everyone take off your shoes. There's no reason to not do these again. We're going to take you through the cowboy sit, which does a nice job of looking at a bunch of range of, of motion in the lower extremity. The wall angel, which does a really nice job of seeing how well you can extend through your middle back, rotate your arms back into ex shoulder external rotation and bring those shoulder blades nice and together in the back of your body and stabilize them there. Then the last one, which makes a lot of sense, is the bridge squeeze. That's the ability to get that glute max to take that thigh bone and drive it back, which is coming out of that hip hinge position. So first one that we're going to show you is your cowboy sit and please do it along at home. Over the next eight weeks, we're gonna be taking you through our eight foundations of movement. Our eight foundations of movement are eight different functional tests that help you identify what you need to work on the most in your body. 
in that, we catch the things that we see the most in people. Some people have stiff toes, some people have stiff middle backs. A lot of people have very similar physical impairments and we wanna help you identify them along with doing a really good look at your pillar or the muscles from your shoulders to your hips and everything in between. So the first one is called the Cowboy Sit Plus and Mark's gonna help us show that position right now. For the first part of the Cowboy Sit Plus, we're gonna look at how we can load the great toe, arch, a little bit of the ankle, definitely the knee, and then see how all that responds to a bit of pressure on it. So a good cowboy sit is gonna look like this. Your toes are tucked under, your heels touching your butt, and you're totally vertical. And I can hang out in this position for a decent amount of time. Now let's see what it's probably gonna look a little bit more like in the clinic. Come on down, Mark. So same cues, toes are tucked under. I'm gonna say, Mark, I want you to put this butt on that heel. He's gonna go back and do the best he can. Then once he gets that as close as he can, he's gonna sit upright as vertical as he can. Take a picture of that so you see what it looks like. Because after we prep your pillar, I promise it's gonna be better. But then the plus part is we're gonna check dorsiflexion. For that, Mark's gonna put his hand right here put this to give us a marker, and he's gonna drive his knee in front of his second and third toe while watching his heel so that it doesn't come up and see if he can touch it. And that's pretty good. So that's the plus portion of the cowboy sit, which is our first foundation of movement. Post below, tell us how to go. So that is a really good example of a great bang for your buck exercise. If you don't have a foam roller, you can use a wall. It's no problem. But really, getting a sense of how much ankle dorsiflexion you have is really, really important. So as we talked about, this is what it covers. Toe extension range of motion, toe flexor length, meaning if for some reason you can't get those toes tucked under it could be the joints or it could be the muscles we want to know this isn't telling us which one it is it's just telling us that both of those are now under the microscope your arch flexibility your ankle dorsiflexion range of motion which again is bringing those toes towards the front of the shin and then we're also then in effect assessing the ankle plantar flexor length meaning if we're looking at it how well a joint can move into one range. So for me, I'm just going to say here, if I'm looking at how well this joint can come like this, I'm really checking to see how long the triceps can get as well. Whenever you're thinking about checking a range of motion for a joint, always be thinking about what's called the antagonistic muscle group or the muscle that is most put on length because of that position. You're also checking your knee flexor, flexion range of motion, and therefore the knee extensor length. And then when you do the second part of the test, again, in a different way, you're checking the ankle dorsiflexion range of motion and the ankle plantar flexor or your calf length. Here's another one. Take a second, get over on the wall, see how well you perform with this assessment, which is called the wall angel. It checks out a lot of really important 
portions of your trunk's ability to extend. For our sixth test, we're gonna do what's called a wall angel, but we like to do it with a little bit of a lumbar lock, meaning that you can't cheat through your lower back as well. So we put you in this position, your hips, then your knees in front of your hips, and your feet are in front of your knees, and you're sitting up against the wall. Get all the way back to the wall as close as you can, and then give it one more good little scoot to get in there. Then, good contact, gently tuck your chin, and he's gonna rotate his arms at about 90 degrees all the way back till they touch the wall behind him. Perfect. Once he gets there, he's gonna bury them into the wall and then drive his hands up as he exhales. And see how close his hands get to over his shoulders. A really good test retest. Where did you feel it? What did you feel? Did it feel symmetrical? Again, against a wall, you're gonna get some really good information. Take a picture before and after. So if I had to say, perhaps the most important out of our eight foundations of movement, this would probably be the one that would win. This and probably the rotating plank are the ones that I think need to be looked at on just about everyone. Anyone who sat at a desk, which is pretty much everyone who went to school, needs to make sure that they didn't accumulate some of the physical impairments or some of the lacks of range of motion that can be accompanying that. And if you did, it's no problem. It just means that that needs to be a focus and something you work on before you start doing really heavy loaded squats, really heavy loaded deadlifts. If you don't have the ability to get that trunk to a neutral position, that should be in the beginning specifically a big focus of what you're going to be doing to see to see how good you can get it before you build onto it. We have one more test here, and that's the bridge squeeze. And that simply is getting the glute max and hip extension. We're doing a good job of really looking at all of these. So your hip extensor strength, but also I would say what's called the functional hip flexor length, meaning you can lay someone in a passive position, have them lay on their back, pull a knee into their chest and see how long that hip flexor is when there's no actual load on it. But this does a good job of seeing how well that hip flexor can let go when the glute max is actually trying to produce some force. Typically, you will have one of two answers. One is it'll quickly, they'll say, I feel it so much more in my right and I can't access my left or vice versa. Or commonly, you'll hear, I felt that in my back or I felt that in my hamstrings. Neither of those are what we're looking for, but it's really nice to have that data because they should feel this in their glute. You're actively asking them to access their glute. And if they have trouble with that in this setting where it's totally safe and not reactive, the chances are that they're having trouble with it when they're out on the field. So everyone get down on the ground, take a moment, and see how well you do with the bridge squeeze. The third test 
in our foundations of movement is a bridge squeeze. So we're gonna be checking the glute function primarily. And again, with all these, it's where do you feel, what do you feel, does it feel the same on both sides? This is the one where feeling the same on both sides is really, really obvious. So lay down on your back. You're gonna be in this bridge squeeze position, bend your knees, squeeze your shoes. I'm gonna coach you through it real quick. Palms up, bury the backs of your hands down into the ground. Don't forget about your thumbs. Inhale, exhale your ribs down. At the bottom, refill a little bit, tuck your belt up towards your chin, pressing your bat gently into the mat, heels into the ground, toes fold up, drive up, Mark, your hips into the bridge, squeeze your right glute as hard as you can for two count, squeeze your left glute as hard as you can for a two count, squeeze your right glute as hard as you can for two count, squeeze your left glute as hard as you can, two count. Ten on each side, where, what, sides. I feel like it's worth mentioning that I have to get those videos out in one minute. So I think I do a pretty good job of actually, um, it gets a little rushed at the end, but I'm, I'm proud of the work that I've done. So that's your final of the three pretests. Before you start thinking about wanting to squat, you should probably look at those ranges of motion and those strengths. Now I'm going to let Carl kind of talk you through some of the technique and we'll see where it goes from there. Cool guys. Um, so, but before I, I show you this video, um, kind of want to show you something real quick. You know, so we talked about the squat. What, what's the squat? It's a movement pattern, right? So, if somebody comes to me and they have a bad squat, or if you think you have a bad squat, um, the first thing we look at is what does the squat looks like look like and if it doesn't look good i don't necessarily go right for strength and range of motion tests you might just have to coach them up a little bit on how to move they might just not move well so there's three main things that come into play when you're looking at these movement patterns um do you move well do you have strength and do you have range of motion a, a lot of times it's a combination of two or, or all of those things um but i'm not always necessarily looking at uh people's strength and range of motion right away um you can kind of get to that later if you coach them up a little bit and, and their squat is good then then don't worry too much about strength and range of motion if they have it when after you coach them up um one more thing i'll, I'll say too is just because they don't have an awesome deep squat doesn't mean they can't squat either I, just squat in whatever range of motion you can get somebody to squat in yourself or, or your clients or your patients just do that like don't not squat just because you don't have a uh, an awesome full squat all right rant over um i'll add something else quick. drinking straight up moonshine it's been awesome. <laughs> i think I it's worth mentioning that's a great point i've had a patient we worked with for a really long time we were looking at his squat and frankly just dropping a dowel on his back cleaned everything up no clean like 80 percent up and then helping him time his breath a little bit was highly effective um there's a lot of different ways that you can help people squat better and carl i'm glad you mentioned that because sometimes it's just that they don't move all that well, but they have everything. It's just like a pattern that they learned for me in high school when I learned it. I learned it wrong, and now I'm having to unlearn it and then relearn it.
Cool. Thanks, Steve. All right, so let's watch the video. Hey guys, I'm Carl from Integrated Health Sciences. We've already covered the eight foundations of movement. Today we're covering the eight foundations of exercise, okay? We've already covered the first foundation of exercise, which is the pillar prep, and you can see it on our Instagram every week. Now we're gonna cover the squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, locomotion, and rotation, okay? First one, the squat, we're gonna use the kettlebell squat. So you have your feet about Shoulder width apart, you can turn your feet out a little bit, make sure your knees are spread. Grab the kettlebell by the horns, lift it up to your chest level, good. Elbows in, pull it apart, pull yourself down until your hips are about level with your knees and push the ground away, good, and repeat. Awesome. Cool. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the goblet squat. Um, we went over it last time, uh, but it's it's one of my favorite squats. Um, if somebody's having trouble with the back squat, um, I'll almost always have them do the goblet squat. It just it, it makes it really easy for people to be upright and to create a lot of tension throughout the body. Um, so just look over the cues here. Grab the kettlebell by the horns, so the horns are where Steve's holding the kettlebell there. Um, you want your elbows in tight, and you're pulling, actively pulling the kettlebell apart. Um, feet can be straight or not straight. Um, it really depends on your anatomy and, and how comfortable you feel. Um, lock your ribs down, which Steve's going to be talking about a little bit more uh, later on. Spreading the floor with your feet. Also, like these are ways to just set like your body. You want to create full tension throughout your body when you're doing your lifts. Um, and then you want to slowly squat as low as you can. And you want to push the knees apart. Um, it can be slow or fast depending on what, you know, exactly you're working on. Um, but I'll, I'll take you guys through it right now. Welcome to my gym. So, the name of the game here is full body tension. So, usually I'll have power clean it up, elbows are in tight, and I'm pulling apart, okay? So, I'm taking about a shoulder width stance, and for me, it feels better if I'm a little bit externally rotated. That means feet turned out just slightly, okay? And I'm getting my ribs down. I'm creating tension through my lats by pulling this apart. My ribs are down. And now I'm spreading the floor between my toes. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like almost stretch out this rug here. I'm not driving my knees out by my feet coming off the floor. Okay. So my hips are creating all that tension with my glutes. So now I'm ready to come down. I'm going to pull myself down using my hip flexors. And then I'm going to push my big toes into the floor. 
I'm going to squeeze my glutes and I keep that tension. I keep pushing the ground away, pushing the ground away until I'm ready to do it again. And we'll talk a little bit more about breathing later, how you can breathe with your different lips. Um, but I was taught, I did a, I had a couple of people from, from Strong First teach me how to do the goblet squat. And I feel like those were the best cues that I've heard so far. Cool. So Steve did a little bit more of a deep dive in, in the anatomy last time. Um, I'm going to go real quick through this. Uh, gluteus maximus. Uh, I think you guys have all heard of it. Um, <laughs> it attaches to your pelvis and it attaches to your leg bone. So it, it's a hip extensor. So when I'm coming up from the squat, thanks, Steve. <laughs> when I'm coming up from the squat, my hip is going into extension. When I'm going down, it's going into hip flexion. So when we talk about extension, and flexion, we're talking about angles at joints. Okay, so do I do make it active when I'm when I'm coming down. I do think about using my hip flexors to pull myself down. But of course, my glutes are also controlling the descent. So hip extensors and external rotators, they're also hip abductors so they move the the leg away from the midline um but in terms of the squat we're mostly thinking about um external rotation and hip extension gluteus medius um here well you know it it can be a hip extensor from when when the hip is flexed um it's also a lateral stabilizer Hamstrings go from the, well, mainly from the pelvis down to the knee. Here, here we're going to talk about them more as hip extensors. Again, kind of work, working with the glutes. Quadriceps. Um, they go from femur or leg bone to shin bone. They cross the knee. Uh, one of them goes from the, the pelvis down to the, across the knee as well. So we're talking about knee extensors there so that when it's going to straighten out the knee as you come up and help control the descent down as your knee bends so the psoas and the iliacus are the hip flexors um they are stabilizers of the spine um but i also think about them as being active um when when i'm performing squat when i coach up the squat um, I'm thinking about using them to pull myself down into a squat. Adductors, those are those inner thigh muscles. Um, they do a bunch of jobs. Um, when I think of them as a squat and some, some of the cues I'll use to, to get somebody to get their adductors working, because when you do a squat, especially if I'm a little wide and all you need to see is this part, here, so I, I am kind of abducting a little bit, and then I am adducting, so the thighs kind of come together. So those adductors are really working there, those inner thigh muscles. 
And that's really kind of mainly how I, I want to think about them here in the squat. They do other jobs as well, but we don't need to really get into that right now. Abdominals, so you need to have a strong core. You need a stable trunk. That's the platform that your legs and arms work at off of. Um, I really like the saying, you, you can't shoot a cannon out of a canoe. Um, so if your abs aren't, if you can't create appropriate tension with, with your abdominals, that, that's exactly what you're doing. Shooting a cannon out of the canoe. Uh, the lats. Okay, so we all know, or most of us know that, that we use the lats a lot for pulling, like pull-ups and, and rows and things like that. Um, but here, they can be a powerful trunk stabilizer. So essentially, you want to say they go from the spine and the pelvis all the way up to your arm bone, your humerus here. And whether you're using the bar or you're doing a, a, a kettlebell squat, um, a goblet squat, you're really using those lats, you're locking them down so they're not moving and you're going to use them as a trunk stabilizer. Soleus, so the, the soleus is one of your calf muscles. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the, the lengths that we checked. Um, in the cowboy sit so one if you, you have a little if you're if you have a length problem in the soleus your squat may look like this hi i'm all right i'm all right <laughs> <laughs> so, your squat if, if i run out of room here if my soleus is is kind of tight if i run out, run out of room here I'm going to start bending forward a lot. I'm going to put a lot of force on my, my low back, okay? So one thing you want to look at is length there, um, but that muscle also controls that motion when you're lowering down. And then it's actually going to work to pull your shin back on the way up. So and that's why I was saying last time that it's almost like a knee extensor. Okay, and the gastrocnemius, pretty much the same thing. Also, ankle plantar flexor. flexor. Um, so as, as your knee is straightening there in the squat, um, your ankle is going into plantar flexion. So it's almost like you're pointing your toes, but your foot's not moving. So your shin has to move around your foot. The diaphragm. Um, it's a muscle that... I think maybe a lot of people don't think of it as a as it has a lot of roles. Um, you know, obviously we use it for breathing, um, but it's also a postural muscle. Um, most of us have a tough time using it for both. Um, so so it, it can take a lot of training. Um, if someone has rib flare, and Steve's gonna talk about that a little bit more later. If someone has rib flare, meaning their ribs are kind of up, um, it's gonna put the, the diaphragm in, into, um, not the best position um, for core stabilization. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean in a second when I, after I show you the diaphragm. So uh, the pelvic floor. So diaphragm's on the top, pelvic floor's on the bottom. This is the bottoms up view of, of the pelvic floor. So anal sphincter's on the bottom and I, this is a female. Um, so the, the vagina's on the top. Um, 
I've, yep, thanks. I got that right? Oh, that took Nailed it. Oh my God. All right. So you want to think of the pelvic floor as, as a diaphragm as well, because it is. Um, and I'll show you in a second how that works. Um, so here's the diaphragm here. Here are my ribs. Diaphragm's here. So think of it as a dome. And then down here, my pelvic floor, it's, it's also a dome. And they, they, as you breathe, they're going to push the organs down and everything else into that pelvic floor, which is also a diaphragm. They're going to work off of each other, okay? So they work off of each other. They can bounce off of each other. If you have some rib flare, which means your posture is like this, it means the diaphragm is facing that way, the pelvic floor is facing that way, and they're not really rebounding off of each other well. So setting the ribs is really important that way. Um, if you think of your whole core, if you think of your whole core as like a Coke can, um, and Steve said like, yeah, a, a full Coke can is stronger than an empty Coke can, right? But when you're doing your squats and your athletic movements, you want to move about the hips and, and not really about your spine very much. Um, so you want to think of, of that whole that whole core here as a Coke can. I don't want to see any crinkles in it either side, okay? And you want to be able to create um, appropriate intra-abdominal pressure with all those surrounding muscles. And that's including your your diaphragm and your pelvic floor, if you need to leak anywhere there, um, you're not going to have great stabilization. Pelvic floor. Okay, cool. So that's that with the anatomy. Um, we did talk a little bit last time about the dowel, the window pane, and the box squat. Um, so the dowel... So I had said before that, um, you know, sometimes somebody just maybe doesn't move that well. Um, so the dowel is one of, one of my favorite ways to, to teach somebody how to, to squat or, or just move about the hip without moving the spine too much. You don't want the spine to actually move. You want the spine to move through space. Uh, what do I mean by that? Not like outer space, like any space. Yeah. Or outer space, because that is So I don't want my spine to move. I want my spine to move through space. So my, my spine doesn't change shape. I'm just moving from my hip. So I'll take my dowel, and I'm going to protect my toes. <laughs> left. So I'll take my dowel, or, or whatever you have. It, it can be a broomstick. It doesn't matter. So I'm going to take one hand. And that's contacting the back of my head, okay? My upper back is also contacting this. I'm going to take my other hand, put it back here. It's going to be right up, about where my sacrum is, okay? And I'm not going to lose contact there as I squat. So I'm going to stick my butt back and down here. So if I lose contact, now I'm rounding my spine, right? So I lost contact there. If I lose contact in the middle back, it means I'm overarching. Why does that happen? Many are different reasons. So um, if, if you can't really coach them up that well with, with the dowel, then you're definitely gonna have to like, I would go back to some of those other tests that we taught you and, and then 
look a, a little bit more closely at that. Um, then we have the window pane. So the window pane I usually start a little easy, so I'll start kind of away from the wall a little bit. And, and I'll get into my comfortable squat stance, um, shoulder width apart. Maybe I'll, I'll start, depending on, on how you think the person moves, maybe I'll start a foot away from the wall. And I'll slide the arms up, or you can have if this is too hard, like some people can't even do this, then you know you're going to have to look at their thoracic spine. Um, so you can have them put their hands behind their head. Or if that's too tough, you can even just have them cross the hands over the shoulders. Okay, so you want to squat down as low as you can without touching your nose or your knees to the wall. And then you can start inching them in a little bit closer. A little bit closer, a little bit closer. And it's not a, way, a bad way to kind of grease the groove with a squat, squat pattern anyway, um, if somebody's having a tough time, time with that squat. And then the box squat, uh, kind of self-explanatory. We'll do a bed squat. You're just squatting to a target. So like I, like I was saying before, if somebody doesn't, can't squat very low, just rate, raise, the, raise it up. You only have to squat that low to get, some, to get some work in. And if they squat well there, load it up. So now I'm going to talk you guys through the way that I coach it up. And I'm big about what, what I call sets. So meaning that there's a lot of overlap with the deadlift, with the squat, with the lunge on what your foot's doing, meaning they don't really end up doing anything that's dramatically different from your squat to your deadlift to your lunge. So if I can teach you how to set your foot, all I have to do is say, set your foot. And then you should know those three cues that would go into getting that foot ready for that exercise. So the big two cues that I think are really important, the two big sets that I think are really important are for a squat, are getting your foot set and then getting your ribs set on your pelvis. So they're skills in and of themselves and they do become second nature, which is really nice. But here is the way that I teach how to set the foot. So the first thing is, and this is from a yoga principle actually. So the, the main yoga principles are that you're going to root something into the ground, meaning it's usually either going to be the big knuckle or it's going to be the outside of the foot. And then you're going to spin the lower extremity away from that root, meaning you'll either root the inside and spin the leg towards the outside or root the outside edge of the foot and spin the leg towards the inside. It's a really good way of creating tension and balance in the lower extremity, which is what you need for a squat, a hinge, 
and a lunge. So for us, the way that we teach it is three simple ways. First is same thing, bury that big knuckle into the ground, then spin both of the legs away from each other. And then the last part is what we wanna give you a visual on, which is spread the ground beneath you. Meaning if you were on a towel, you would try and spread it. If you were on a, let's see, a piece of paper, you'd be trying to rip it beneath you. If you were on a yoga mat, you'd be trying to create tension in that yoga mat. So again, it's big knuckle, bury into the ground, spin the legs away from each other, and then spread the ground beneath you. That's how we set the foot for the squat. The next one does pretty well with a video, which is teaching you how to set your ribs on your pelvis. So for that, I think that it's really important to talk about breathing behind the shield. And I've taught this a lot of different ways, and I promise you in six months, I'll probably be teaching it a different way. But this is how I teach it today. So I shot a video and threw it up on YouTube. The simple way is teach them how to breathe, teach them how to build a shield, and teach them how to breathe behind the shield. So take one and two, put it together so that you're teaching them how to breathe behind the shield. Building that shield is, I think, the one that gets people a little bit confused. But simply put, that's getting your ribs knit down onto your pelvis and keeping tension in your abdominals. So again, it's breathing, which is we want to do diaphragmatically because that's the most stabilizing breath. Building the shield by knitting the ribs into the appropriate position on the pelvis, knit down close towards the pelvis, and then keeping or we'll say attaining and keeping tension in the abdominals and then putting them together, teaching them how to breathe through their nose using their diaphragm without losing the tension in their abdominals or losing those rib position, that proper rib position on their pelvis. So right now we're gonna show you a little video. I would highly suggest doing this. Again, get down on the ground, put your legs up on the couch and see if you can follow along. Now for this, we only do three, but you can do 10 breaths and it's a really good way to train your body to have that rib cage stacked up onto that pelvis like Carl was talking about before. So you're not in that open scissor and bleeding all that pressure out through the front. Today, we're gonna to talk about breathing behind the shield. The way that we like to teach this is we first teach you how to breathe, then we teach you how to build the shield, then we put it all together and teach you how to breathe behind the shield. So the first step of that is learning how to breathe. We're gonna breathe into our nose, deep down into our belly to learn that diaphragmatic stabilizing breath. So for that, nice and easy, pull this up, one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly, and I want you to breathe into your nose, out through your nose, so you feel the most amount of rising in the bottom hand and the least amount of rising in the top hand. I'll do three. Next thing I'm gonna teach you to do is to build the shield. Easiest way to do that is with a really strong exhale to get your obliques firing and 
to build a little bit more tension by driving your elbows up into the sky when you're in an upside down plank position. So I'm gonna show you what that is. Do it along with me. I'm also, I'm in this position just to get your pelvis in a really nice neutral position, which gets your back into a really nice neutral position. So I'm gonna do three of those hard exhale breaths, like I'm trying to fog up some glass that's in front of my mouth. Each time I'm gonna try and breathe my ribs down just a little bit lower, a little bit lower. I'm gonna do it for three breaths. You're gonna see what it looks like here. In through the nose, get in this position, white knuckle fist, driving your elbows up towards the sky, in, Exhale like you're fogging up glass. Now on that last one, I really want you to take note of the position that you feel you're in and the tension that you've created because you're going to want to recreate that when we start to breathe behind the shield. So the last thing we're going to do is breathe behind the shield and put the two together. So we're going to do that really nice strong exhale like we did. Get the ribs stacked onto the pelvis real nice. Get some good tension in the abdominals and then we're just going to breathe in and out through our nose three, five, ten times, how many times you want, deep down into that groin to fill up that belly and that back. So this is what it's going to look like. First one looks very similar to the last one. White knuckle fist, drive your elbows up into the sky, breathe in through your nose. But then when I'm at the bottom of that breath, I'm going to keep that tension and breathe deep down into the groin to fill up the belly and the back. Start off by trying to do that each one of those phases 10 times, then you can maybe do it five times, but at least hit three of these before you get into some of your bigger movements, the other eight foundations of exercise. Thanks for joining us, and that's how you breathe behind the shield. That was exciting. I really like that. So I don't think I can add too much to that because I shot that right before we did this webinar. Um, but it's a really important skill, not just for squatting, like we said, but for hinging, lunging, pushing, pulling, locomoting, and rotating. So I think that's a really important skill to be mastered. Cool. Okay. So these are some of the advanced cues, um, which we already kind of talk, talked about some of them spreading the floor. Um, Steve and I both talked about this already spreading the floor between your, your feet, um, creating tension in those hips, gripping the floor as well. So if you're gripping the floor with your toes, you're going to turn your whole body on. That's, that's a, that's a reflex from when we first became, um, bipedal animals um bend the bar rip the handle apart so with, with the goblet squat um 
We talked about ripping the handle apart. Um, when I show you the back squat, um, we're going to talk about bending the bar, uh, which is also going to get your lats turned on as well. Uh, ribs down, okay? So Steve and I already kind of talked about those already. Pushing the ground away, same thing. Um, I like to think more about pushing the ground away than, um, than standing up. Um, I, I feel like you're able to create more tension. And if you keep pushing the ground away, you'll usually stand up a lot straighter than, than you would if you just think about get, getting the weight up. Um, and pulling yourself down too. So I mentioned before about full body tension through the whole exercise. If you're just kind of like dropping down or, or kind of like mindlessly lowering yourself down, um, you're not going to create as much tension in, in your body as if you use your hip flexors to, to kind of pull yourself down. You might not feel your hip flexors, but it's really the intent that's going to create that tension. So one of the times that I went out to Exos, um, and if you don't know about Exos, you've never heard of them, definitely look them up, E-X-O-S. Um, they're all around the world. They have an awesome um, continuing education program, like a bunch of different programs. Um, I took one of their courses down in Miami, um, and I've been out to their facility in Phoenix uh, a couple times. Um, and one of the times I went out there, um, this guy, Brian Carroll, who's a professional power lifter, he's squatted over a thousand pounds in three different, um, weight classes. Uh, he's just a, an animal. Um, he is gigantic. If you see him there, that's, that's me in the blue shirt next to him. Um, I'm not very big anyway, so, <laughs> um, but he, he's a big guy and he, um, he gave me some of the best cues I've ever got my in, in my entire life um, about all the, the big big lifts, um, the deadlift, uh, the squat, and the the bench press. Um, really, a lot about attitude too. Just just kind of like how you want to approach all these lifts or, or anything you do in life, really. But um, I'm going to share some of his cues with you. Um, First is, you know, you want to approach the bar with head to toe stiffness. Um, it doesn't matter what amount of weight is on there. Um, he'll say, always start with the empty bar. And it does, it, even when you're using the empty bar, make sure you're, you're really stepped into that like it's the heaviest weight you've ever list, lifted. Um, if you practice half-ass, you're, you're probably going to do it half-ass and, you know, you always want to use your whole ass, right? Whole ass, uh, always whole ass. Yeah, always the whole ass. Uh, utilize the lifter's wedge. So I'll, I'll show you what I mean by the lifter's wedge. Um, so the wedge, and, and that's true. The lifter's wedge is true with the hinge or the deadlift um, and, and the, the squat. Um, it's also an athletic position um so if if i'm doing a deadlift so you, you can see this wedge here i'm creating that wedge there but if i'm doing a back squat i'm creating a nice wedge and angle here as well okay so lifters wedge 
Boom, I'm creating tension with my lats. I'm pulling myself in. So, okay, so that, that's the lifter's wedge. Um, now, when you step under the bar, my imaginary squat rack. So I'm gonna step to the bar with head to toe stiffness. I'm going to get both feet under me, okay? So you'll see a lot of people, I've done it in the past with the, with the split stance. pick it up and then do something and then they'll put it back the same way. Just be safe. Always get both feet underneath you. So when you're stepping in, find out what, what width is good for you. Everybody's shoulder mobility is a little different. And that's why we looked at the, those tests that with the external rotation. So if you don't have good external rotation, so this is internal rotation, that's external rotation of your shoulders. You're kind of gonna look like this anyway, all right? And then you're not gonna be able to really use your lats because I wanna really wanna pull myself into the bar. I'm gonna take 10, 20% of, of, of the weight of the pressure into the bar and I'm going to wedge myself into it. I'm pulling down. See my elbows are down, straight down, not here. I'm pulling myself in. I'm using those ab, those lats as, as uh, trunk stabilizers. It's also gonna make me get my, my abs involved as well. I'm gonna lift the weight up and I'm gonna take two to three steps back. Three steps, two steps is, two steps is really ideal. So I'm here, one, Two, you might have to do one little step to just get yourself where you want to be. But ideally, you want to just go one, two, and I'm ready to go. You don't want to waste too much effort and time on that. Okay. Then you're going to create tension. Okay. So when Steve was talking about breathing and, and breathing behind the shield, so when power lifters breathe, okay, and they might not breathe at all. Um, some power lifters don't breathe through the whole set. Um, sometimes just one rep. It could be like three reps, five reps, whatever. Sometimes they don't breathe the whole time. But one strategy that they do a lot of times is take, take a sip of air in, go down, come back up and then take a uh, sip of air and do that again. Um, another strategy I've learned from this awesome coach, um, Artemis Scantilides. Um, if you don't know her, check her out on Instagram, Iron Body by Artemis. Um, she, she taught me the strong first um, method for, for their squats, which is kind of like this. So in strong first, you need to do the double rack with the kettlebells. You need to do double rack squat. So the way they do it here is again, you're creating the tension the same way. You're going to pull yourself down and hook. So that hook and if you guys have something to hold on to at home, really try this. 
And even if you don't have something to hold on to, just get in a, in a low squat here, as low as you can, and go, huh! and you really have to do it loud. It really gets your pelvic floor kicking in, and, and it initiates the up. You almost like automatically just go up. And then you want to think like you're going to radiator that, that air out of you. So you make it audible. Take a sip, go back down, and then repeat. Okay. Hip hinge. Um, we talked about that. Now I want, I want to talk a little bit about the the abdominals here, because um, you really want to make sure that you know how to get your abdominals going, and. People that use, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but they don't know what a weight belt is for. They think it just kind of gives you like passive support, but it's really something you want to push into. So if everybody takes their, their hands like this, find out where your belly button is, go around and, and relax everything and push in, push into your sides and then see if you can push your hands out. And if you can maintain that tension, especially back here, that's where most people have the heart. That's not everybody, but most people have the hardest time pushing their abdominals out back here. So when we talk about breathing behind the shield, you need to breathe behind that full circumferential shield. That was a big game changer for me. Um, a lot of this stuff too, I used to have a lot of back pain when, when I was squatting and deadlifting. Um, I never felt so good. I, like if you can take away any of these cues, like if you feel like your squat's pretty good, um, but you have some pain, just try this stuff first and, and, and see if it helps. Um, last thing, you know, drive through the heels. So, you know, that, that's from a power lifter driving through the heels. Um, not everybody cues it that way. Um, if, if, a lot of people from Strong First are going to tell you to drive through your toes. Um, I don't really care. We're, you know, you can find out what, what feels best for you. Cool. Um, Steve, you have anything else to say? No, I think that that, that was great. Um, I get asked the same question a lot about driving through the toes, driving through the heels, driving through a full foot. Um, I, I think you can make a case that depending on what the foot attire that the person has, that could end up changing the cue a little bit. A lot of power lifters wear weightlifting shoes, that has a heel. You're going to drive through the heel more. People who are more barefoot, it's going to want to be more of a full foot that they're driving through. So uh, I think you can make a case for a few different things. But yeah, that's that's a good point. So I I tend to train barefoot, like a, like a lot of people. Um, like if you if you take any strong first courses, you know, like Pavel Satsaline will will tell you to always take your shoes off. I I always train barefoot. I want strong feet. Um, those are your roots. Um, if if I'm not barefoot, like, and if you don't like to be barefoot, um, in the gym. I, I definitely recommend getting the, like, I don't have a stock in this or anything. Like 
These are pedestal footwear socks and they have tread on the bottom. Um, you can check on our website for those in the eight foundations of health under ergonomics in that section or exercise. Um, there's a link to pedestal. I think you get a little discount code if you click through that link. Yeah. And like Brian Carroll, the powerlifter would say, um, and most powerlifters would, would probably say that you want like a minimal issue. So a lot of, a lot of them wear like converse, you know, something like flat, um, unless you want to want to train barefoot. Um, uh, but you really want to feel, feel the floor. Let's turn it over to your questions. If there are any, please ask them now. Uh, thanks so much for coming with us. Yeah, thank you so I, much. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, y'all. It's fun to go over the squat, and we'll do it again in a year when we've taken eight more courses and revamp it and make it even better. So if there aren't any questions, I think we're going to wrap it up. We'll give that another 10, 15 seconds. But – we really appreciate this. If you like this share, um, it's going to be on YouTube soon. So feel free, if anyone is in the strength world, to share the first part of this and the second part. It has been a real pleasure. I would like to thank you, Carl. Thank you, audience. And I hope everyone has a great day. Take it easy, y'all. Thanks, guys. Stay safe.